Well, good morning, and welcome to Fellowship Bible Church, and it's good to see you. I would talk with a number of you. This is your first time back after almost a year, so welcome. Glad you're back here at FBC, and those of you watching online, uh, thank you for your, uh, your faithful participation uh, all these many months, and we hope to see you real soon as well uh, back here t- uh, together, and either in our FSAT service or one of our three services here on Sunday morning, and uh, down at F3, glad to see you folks too. Well, I don't see you, but fortunately you see me, is the, the whole idea. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. Those words were penned by that greatest of all hymn writer, Charles Wesley. Um, he, I think, wrote something like over 6,000 hymns in his lifetime. You probably Remember the story of uh, the Wesley brothers, Charles and Jonathan Wesley? They came, they were Anglican ministers that came over in 1735 to the colony of Georgia to be missionaries. And yet a year later, they're back on a, uh, on a boat heading back to England. Uh, Jonathan Wesley would write later, he said, I came over to convert the Indians, but oh, who will convert me? You see, the Wesley brothers, even though they were Anglican ministers, they were not born again. They did not know Jesus. Their souls were empty. They had nothing to share uh, when they came over as missionaries. It wasn't until May of 1738 that Charles Wesley was reading the commentary that um, the great reformer Martin Luther had written on the book of Romans. And reading Luther's commentary on Romans... Um, Charles Wesley's eyes were open and he saw for the very first time what Jesus Christ had done for him, paid for his sins. And in May of 1738, he put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ as his personal savior. And a few months later, his brother Jonathan did as well. Of course, it changed the whole course of their life and their ministry from that day on. At At the year anniversary of his new birth, of his spiritual birth, a year later, he wrote an 18-stanza hymn that we know as O Four Thousand Tongues to Sing. Now, obviously, we don't sing all 18 of those these days. We, I think we've pared it down. Most hymnals have about five, six, maybe seven uh, of those stanzas. Um, it, it, it was based on a, a phrase that a friend of, of Charles Wesley told him. He said, if I had a thousand tongues, I'd use them all to praise Jesus. I think the Apostle Paul would say something similar. If I had a thousand tongues, the Apostle Paul, I think, would say, I'd use them all to call upon the name of the Lord. We are studying uh, the book of Romans, and um, and we're in that section of Romans 9, 10, and 11 that is specifically focused to the Jewish people. We saw last week uh, the importance of that phrase of calling upon the name of the Lord. He said in chapter 10, verse 12, There is no distinction between Jew or Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. And then he quotes from Joel chapter 2, for whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, will be delivered, will be rescued. Now I explained last week, if you happen to hear that or were online, that that concept of calling upon the name of the Lord isn't for unbelievers to be saved. That is something believers in Jesus Christ, people who are already eternally saved, 
are invited to do. All who call upon the name of the Lord, those are believers in Jesus Christ. You see the very next verse, verse 14, he says, how shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? Believers already who know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior have the opportunity to call upon the name of the Lord and receive God's abounding riches, he said, to all those who do that, who call upon the name of the Lord. So this is, it's a term that is rich in meaning, to call upon the name of the Lord. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior today, we have a wonderful privilege to do something, to call upon the name of the Lord. And when we do, we can experience his abounding riches of salvation, of deliverance, of freedom. Now, I'm going to unpack that a little bit more this morning. And I'm going to look at passages in Scripture that uh, talk about calling upon the name of the Lord as believers in Jesus Christ. Uh, so we're going to flip in our Bibles a little bit, so get ready. It's kind of like an old uh, uh, Sunday school uh, uh, sword drill, you know, Bible's closed, get ready, ready. First one is Genesis 4, 26 and 27. Genesis chapter 4, verse 25 through 26, actually. Genesis 4, verse 25 through 26. And whoever has it first, stand up. But no, no, wait a minute, that's, uh, that's Sunday school days. Genesis chapter 4, verse 25 and 26. It says, Adam had relations with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth. For she said, God has appointed me another offspring in place of Abel, for Cain killed him. And then verse 26 says, To Seth, to him a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. And then very first time this phrase is used in the Bible, it says, Then people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Then people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Now, what's been happening here? If you go back a, a chapter to chapter 3, you know that Adam and Eve sinned and God is pronouncing judgments in chapter 3 and he says in uh, verse 15, he pronounces his judgment against the, the serpent and he says in verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed and he shall bruise you on the head, O serpent, but you will bruise him on the heel. Uh, God is talking about a coming he, a seed of the woman, a male child who is going to be the head crusher of Satan. He is going to crush you on the head though you will bruise him on the heel. There's hope. Somebody's going to come from the seed of the woman. Now you go to chapter 4, verse 1 and 2 and um, it says the man had relations with his wife Eve and she conceived and gave birth to Cain and she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Whoopee, here's the man. Here's the, the promised he, right? Well, verse 2 says, and he, she gave birth again to his brother Abel. Abel was a keeper of the flocks, and Cain was a tiller of the ground. So, hey, we got two choices, right, to, the, to the, be the head crusher of Satan. Two choices, Cain and Abel. Well, as the story goes, you remember the story. Cain gets jealous of his brother Abel and kills him. So that eliminates one of the potential he's and eliminates the other one too because uh, he's a murderer. 
In fact, he is a rebellious, fist-in-the-face, defiant, um, hater of God. Verse uh, 16 says, Cain went out from the presence of the Lord, and he settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. He went out from the presence of the Lord. Cain wanted nothing to do with God. And that murderous um, uh, characteristic of Cain is passed on to his progeny. Down the road in verse 23, one of his progeny is a man by the name of Lamech. And he said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, verse 23, listen to my voice, you wives of Lamech. So he's, a, he's a, uh, an adulteress and an evil man. He said, give heed to my speech, for I have killed the man for wounding me and a boy for striking me. Cain was a murderer and his progeny. Lamech is a murderer. Where's this promised he? Who's going to come? The seed of the woman to be the, the crusher of the head of Satan. Well, we read it there in verse 25. Adam had relations with Eve again, had a son by the name of Seth, and Seth had a son by the name of Enosh, and verse 26 says, and then mankind began to call upon the name of the Lord. There was hope. There was hope. People gathered, finally, there was no hope up until that time. It looked like Satan had run supremely. Cain, Abel's dead. Cain is a murderer. But now Seth is born. And God's promises were alive. And finally, people got with uh, full encouragement and hope. They gathered together and they worshiped God. They called upon the name of the Lord. They proclaimed his goodness. God, you are faithful. There's hope. They gathered for worship. That's the idea. Now, turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, verse 6. Genesis 12, verse 6, it says, Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the oak of Morah, and the Canaanite was in the land. Abram was from the land of the Chaldeans, many, many, many hundreds of miles away, but God had called Abram, and he said, leave your land, and I'll take you to a place that I will give you. And so Abram journeyed, and he's now in the land of, of the Canaanites and everywhere he looked there were Canaanites but verse 7 says the Lord appeared to Abram and he said to your descendants I will give you this land and so he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him and verse 8 says then he proceeded from there to there to the mountain on the east of Bethel he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east and there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. There it is again. He called upon the name of the Lord. Now, now what is happening again here? If we went back one chapter, we won't take the time, but chapter 11 talks about the, the, the evil heart of mankind in pride and in their great hubris. They build a tower, the Tower of Babel. Let's make a name for ourselves. Chapter 11, verse 4. We'll build this tower that reaches up to heaven. Let's make a, a name for ourselves. Let's be like God. And of course, God scattered their language, their, mixed their languages and scattered the people. But then he raised up Abraham. And he said, Abraham, chapter 12, verse 2, I'm going to make your name great. 
I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And you will be a blessing. In fact, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed through you. And once again, there's hope. And Abraham now is in this land. And though all around him are the Canaanites, he builds an altar to the Lord and he worshipped him. He called upon the name of the Lord. That idea also has the concept of proclaiming the name of the Lord. You see, verse 6 is important when it says, now the Canaanite was there in the land, surrounded by all this paganism and these multi-gods and all this evil and darkness. Abraham is proclaiming there is one God. There is one hope for the world. There is one true God. And he proclaimed them. He proclaimed. He called upon the name of the Lord as he's worshiping there at that altar he built. He is proclaiming the character and the goodness of God. Chapter 11, people wanted to make their own name great. Chapter 12, verse 2, God says, Abraham, I'm going to make your name great. And Abraham, in the midst of all the paganism, says, no, I'm going to make your name great. And he proclaimed and he called upon the name of the Lord. We looked last week at the next book, Exodus. Turn with me to Exodus uh, 33. Exodus chapter 33, verse 18. Exodus 33, verse 18 and 19. Moses has gotten the Ten Commandments, but he says, I, I, I want to see you, God. Show me your glory. Verse 18, Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. And God said to him, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. Who's doing the proclaiming? God himself. You want to see my glory? All right, I'm going to, I'm going to pass before you. And I will let my glory be known to you, that I am a gracious God. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and compassionate to whom I will show compassion. Now what had just happened? in the previous chapter, chapter 32. Again, we won't take the time to turn there, but you know the story where the Israelites had come out of the land of Egypt. They took their gold and their silver, and Moses was up on some mountain. They didn't know where he was getting the Ten Commandments. And they take their gold and they fashioned, they melted it down, they fashioned a golden calf, and they begin to worship the golden calf. They had hardly gotten out of Egypt, and they're already apostatizing and worshiping a golden calf. It would break Moses' heart. And he turns to the Lord. He said, Lord, I, I, I need to see you. Show me your glory. And God says, all right, I'll show it to you. Look at chapter 34, verse 5. The Lord descended in the cloud, and he stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. Who did the calling upon the name of the Lord? Jehovah God. Moses is just standing there. Imagine that scene. He's standing there, I want to see you, God, and all of a sudden, the God descends, and he's standing there, and he proclaims his own glory. He, he says, I will declare to you my name. And he said, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity and transgressions and sins. He proclaimed the name of the Lord. He called upon the name of the Lord. God himself is doing the proclaiming to Moses. This is who I am. 
this is who I am, calling upon the name of the Lord. So that phrase, again, it's rich in meaning. It's an, it's an attitude of reverent worship, where a worshiper is so enthralled with who God is, he calls upon his name, he, he worships him, he acknowledges his greatness. It's a word that conveys, a concept that conveys the idea of actually sharing it to others around them, evangelizing, proclaiming the name of the Lord, uh, announcing it. And it's a word that also conveys a certain holy boldness. We know you, God. We know your promises. You are a great God, and there's nothing that you can't do. So turn with me to another passage, 1 Kings chapter 18. A few chapters away, First and 2 Samuel, First and 2 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 18. Now again, this is a familiar story. A story of Elijah on Mount Carmel. The rumble in Carmel. And uh, you remember God had told Elijah to go to the wicked king Ahab and his queen Jezebel, and he, he challenged the prophets of Baal. The whole country of Israel was caught in the darkness of Baal worship, of a pagan deity. And so he said, bring them to all together. Look at verse 22 of 1 Kings 18. Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Now, let them give us two oxen. And they choose one ox for themselves and cut it up and place it on the wood, but don't put any fire under it. And I'll prepare the other ox and lay it on the wood and I'll put no fire under it. Then, verse 24, you call upon the name of your God and I'll call upon the name of the Lord Jehovah and the God who answers by fire, then he's, he's God. And all the people said, hey, that's a great idea. Let's do it. And remember the story? They did it. In fact, Elijah said, um, take buckets and gallons of water and, and, and cover your uh, altar, let's, let's, or his own altar. And he said, uh, let's see who does it. And, and he, they each called upon the name of the Lord. Reveal yourself. Ex expose yourself. Your greatness, almighty, whether it was Baal or all the other names of their gods, nothing happened. And then Elijah stepped up and he called upon the name of Jehovah God. He proclaimed his greatness. Stand back and watch out. And boom, the fire came down and licked up his, his sacrifice and killed the 450 Baals, uh, prophets of Baal. He called upon the name of the Lord in holy boldness. But calling upon the name of the Lord isn't only in times of, of, of darkness and turmoil. Believers in Jesus Christ can call upon the name of the Lord even in the greatest of times. Here's another passage, Isaiah chapter 12. The prophet Isaiah, in the short little chapter, chapter 12 of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 12 is a are words of thanksgiving, of words of praise. Isaiah 12, verse 1 says, Then you will say on that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for although you were angry with me, your anger is turned away and you comfort me. Isaiah is writing about a coming future day 
when the Jewish people will find the comfort and grace of Almighty God. Verse 2 says, Behold, you will say, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and song, and he's become my salvation. Therefore, you will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation and then smack dab in the middle of these six verses. The central core truth, verse 4, and in that day you will say, give thanks to the Lord and call on his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Make them remember that his name is exalted. Call upon the name of the Lord. Tell how wonderful and exalted he is. Verse 5, praise the Lord in song. For he has done excellent things. Let this be known throughout the earth. Cry aloud, shout for joy, O inhabitant of Zion. For great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. But nothing bad happening. There was no doom and gloom here. God had already spared them. They were experiencing the salvation of God. And so they said, hey, assembly of people, this is the greatest of all worship services, right here, chapter 12. Corporate worship, let's get together and let's declare the name of the Lord, how exalted he is, how wonderful he has comforted us, he has saved us, he has delivered us. A worship service, a gathering of giving thanks to the Lord because they've experienced the wonders of his grace. Look, all throughout the Bible, believers in, 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 in the true God, believers in Jesus Christ are called upon to humbly bow before him and call upon his name to worship him because of who he is we're called upon in the, the time of deliverance and salvation that we worship him with joy we're called upon in the times of the depths of despair when darkness and gloom and the canaanite is everywhere around us to call upon the name of the lord with confidence and boldness we are called upon even to to proclaim it to those around us he is the only true god and we announce them to you, we proclaim them to you. Let me give you a couple other quick passages. Acts in the New Testament, chapter 7. In the final moments of Stephen's life, he was one of the seven deacons that had been selected in Acts chapter 6 to minister to the fledgling early church. But now Stephen is being taken out and he's being stoned by the religious leaders there in Jerusalem. And it says in verse 59 of Acts chapter 7, they went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord. And as he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling on his knees, verse 60, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And having said this, he he fell asleep. He died in Jesus. Whether in the greatest moments of our life where God has, has shown himself strong and, and we just come with thankful praise and joyously we call upon his name, whether it's in the darkest and gloomiest times of our life, surrounded by all the evil that's pressing in around us, we, we call upon his name, we worship him, and we announce it to those around us. Whether it's our dying breath, Believers in Jesus Christ call upon the name of the Lord. In fact, in the early church, that is actually how they were characterized. That's how they were known. In fact, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2 says, 
that the, the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Apostle Paul is saying, that, that's, who, that's who we are. That's what the church is. It's, it's people who call upon the name of the Lord. It's people who know their God so deeply and intimately, who have experienced and uh, been on the, the receiving end of his abounding riches. And the more they call upon the name of the Lord, the more abounding riches they receive as God pours out upon them this promise. They are abounding in riches to all who call upon the name of the Lord because whoever calls upon the name of the Lord finds their deliverance, finds their strength, finds their peace, finds their hope in the midst of the darkness of the age in him and him alone. Call upon the name of the Lord. And the Bible tells us it's a phrase that's going to be, you'll find it in the future as well. And Paul, as he writes this particular section in Romans 9, 10, 11, directs these thoughts, as I shared last week, with, the, with the, this entity, this ethnic entity the, of, of the Jews, of Israel. His kinsmen, the people who's, who, who has been breaking Paul's heart. Oh, I wish they would know Jesus. I would be willing to, to be accursed for the sake of my kinsman, my redeemer. But the day is coming. The day is coming, and Paul quoted from Joel chapter 2 in this passage. In Joel chapter 2, God says, I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth, blood, fire, columns of smoke, the sun will be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before that great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it will come about that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered for on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be those who escape, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. A day is coming, and when all the nations are arrayed against Israel, and they're struggling for their very last breath, the heavens will open and the deliverer will come, and Jesus will descend again. And in that moment, the Jewish people, all living at that time, will call upon his name and God will deliver them. Zephaniah the prophet spoke of that, chapter 3. Therefore wait for me, declares the Lord. Wait for the day when I rise up as a witness. Indeed, my decision is to gather nations, assemble kingdoms, to pour out on them my indignation and all my burning anger. For all the earth will be devoured by the fire of my zeal. For then I will give to the peoples, that's the Jewish people, purified lips, that all of them may call on the name of the Lord to serve him shoulder to shoulder. There's coming hope. And for the Jewish people, that day is yet to come, but it's coming. Zechariah the prophet spoke of it too. It will come about in all the land, declares the Lord, that two parts of it will be cut off and perish, but a third will be left. And I will bring that third part through the fire, refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. And they will call on my name, and I'll answer them. And I will say, they're my people, and they will say, the Lord is our God. It's a coming day, a coming future time. That is what Paul was addressing in Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. But from the opening pages of Scripture to the closing pages of Scripture, it's not just the Jewish people that can call upon the name of the Lord. 
It's anyone who has that personal relationship with the living God. We are invited to call upon the name of the Lord. And Paul says in Romans 10, verse 12, that he is abounding in riches to everyone who does that. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will experience the richness and the fullness of his, of his freedom, of his deliverance. Escape from that despair and the hopelessness and the, and the encroaching darkness of the world to anyone who humbly comes before him in worship, who gathers together in corporate praise and lifts up their voices and proclaims, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, abounding in loving kindness, who's forgiven my sins. God promises all those who call upon his name will experience that kind of deliverance. Now, he doesn't promise he's going to remove us from the circumstances that we may be in. But he says, in the midst of those circumstances, you call upon my name. You get your life oriented heavenward. See, one thing is for certain. A person will never call upon the name of the Lord if they don't love him, if they don't know him. If they're not enthralled with who he is. The psalmist said it this way. Because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him, says God. And I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. He will call upon me and I'll answer him. And I will be with him in trouble. I'll rescue him and honor him with a long life. I'll satisfy him and let him see my salvation. To those who love him, who know me. See, living a God-focused life of worship is crucial to experiencing a God-blessed life of salvation, of fullness of joy. Call upon the name of the Lord. That's the exhortation throughout the Scriptures to God's followers. And for the rest of our time this morning, that's what we're going to do. In fact, we come and gather on the Lord's Day uh, to call upon the name of the Lord. We look back over our past week and Yes, there may have been turmoil and trouble and, and pain. You may be here today. You might be listening online and there's situations going on in your life right now. Hurt, pain. You're invited to call upon the name of the Lord. Lord, I need thee. Every hour I need you. You're my great God. You've spared me from hell. Oh, Father, I call out upon you. Lord Jesus. We're going to invite you to do that in the quietness of in your own heart. You may need to call out to God because of the, the pain that you're going through. Or maybe you've been on the receiving end of God's great blessings. Maybe you're here today and are listening online and it's been a wonderful week. In fact, it's been a wonderful year, amazingly. And you just want to, in, the, in your depths of your soul, you just express it to God. You call upon his name. You're building that altar, and you're saying, Lord, thank you. We exalt your name. We come joyously. I'm drinking from the springs, the waters of salvation, of deliverance, and I just want to thank you. And God delights in that when his children call upon his name. And he says, you know, when you do that, I'm going to pour out the abundance of even more grace and mercy. I'm abounding in riches to all who call upon the name 
of the Lord. And so that's what we're going to do. As the worship team comes, and we're going to give you opportunities corporately to do that in the very quietness of your heart. We're going to practice, actually do it, but we're also going to practice it so that when we leave here, just maybe you will walk out of here and we will take this home and we'll know that at every moment on any day we can call upon the name of the Lord who is worthy to be praised. Father, thank you for the examples from Scripture that you give us. Thank you, Lord, for your abundant mercy and grace that you pour out upon us. Receive, Father, our our praises now as we corporately and individually as we gather seek to call upon your name for you're worthy of our praise. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.